0: The reading is from Ezekiel 16, verses 1 to 19, and that's on page 842
1: of the Church Bibles.
0: The word of the Lord came to see me. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with a detestable distest, practices and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of Canaanite. Your father was an uh, Amorite and your mother an uh, On the day you were born your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you, rather you thrown out into the open field, for on that day you was born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, Live, I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breast had formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you, and covered your naked body. I gave you Solomon hoof and entered into a convent with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in a a fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace round your neck and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head, so you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric, an embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flower you became, very beautiful, and rose to be a queen and your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendour I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. But you trusted in your beauty, and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favours on anyone who had passed by, and your beauty became ease. You took some of your garments to make goodly eye places, where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you. You, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on. Then. And you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil and honey, I gave you to eat. You offered as a fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Denise thanks very much for that reading it's a difficult reading and a difficult topic that we're looking at this morning so thank you for um, keeping going through it. Um, So as Paul said at the beginning we've been working through the 10 commandments the 10 moral rules that God gave his people Israel in the wilderness and we've got to number seven um, which is this is not working could you move it on for me please Commandment seven is you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is any sexual activity that breaks a marriage. That is a married person having sex with someone who's not their husband or wife or an unmarried person having sex with someone who is married. It's sex that breaks a marriage. And we're going to look... Um, at why adultery specifically is one of God's ten moral rules? Um, why not sexual immorality more generally, for example? But the bigger question is why God is interested in our sexual behavior at all? And what business is it of mine to be speaking about this very sensitive and personal subject this morning? Maybe you're here as a guest this morning, or you're here just for the building presentation afterwards and you're thinking, this is not what I want to be hearing about. You might be asking the question, or your friends and neighbours certainly um, would ask, what business is it of anyone else what consenting adults do in the bedroom? Would you ask that question? Maybe your friends and neighbours would ask that question. What business is it of anyone else what consenting adults do in the bedroom? You see, we live in a very individualistic and a very feelings-led age. We think that all that really matters is my own desires, as well as the consent of anyone else involved. Isn't that true? Follow your heart, as long as you're not harming anyone else. That's the ethic of our age. And that question is one that's been asked this past week by members of the General Synod of the Church of England. They've been talking not so much about adultery, but about same-sex relationships. Our own local bishop, the Bishop of Stepney, uh, was one of the people calling for an immediate lifting of restrictions on clergy entering same-sex marriage. And the question is the same, what business is it of anyone else what consenting adults do in their bedroom? I wonder how you would answer that question. We're going to think about the principle of why sex is so significant before we come on to the specific issue of adultery. Sex is significant first because our bodies are significant. We looked at this earlier in the year. I'm not going to spend much more time on it now. You can listen back to the sermons on um, 1 Corinthians chapters 5, 6 and 7. They're on the website or you can find them on the YouTube channel. We often compartmentalise our lives, don't we? We think that God is interested in our spiritual lives, whether we pray, whether we read the Bible, whether we go to church and so on. But we quite like to keep him out of the rest of our lives, including physical things we do with our bodies. But God says we're whole people and he wants our whole beings to honour him. Our spirit, our thinking, our feelings, our actions all need to honour the great God who made us and who loves us. Our world is obsessed by sex but in some ways it makes sex trivial and unimportant. Who cares what you do with your body? But no, God says our bodies are significant. What we do with our bodies is significant. They were made with a purpose. Do listen back. To those sermons from earlier in the year for more but it's not just the general point that our bodies are significant sex is significant secondly because marriage is a model of the gospel this is where our bible reading comes in because ezekiel chapter 16 um, tells the story of god's dealings with his people judah and their capital city jerusalem It's an allegory, a symbolic story to make a point. And we're going to look back at it. It's on page 842. Um, It would be helpful if you could follow along in your church Bible. 842, Ezekiel chapter 16. And I'm going to read again to start with just the first few verses. Ezekiel writes, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. In other words, uh, from foreign nations, no one special. Verse four, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloth. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open fields. For on the day you were born, you were despised. God has kindly given us a couple of new babies in our church family over the last few weeks. Now just imagine if uh, little baby Joshua or little baby Reuben were treated like this. Cords not cut, unwashed, unloved, thrown out of the Royal London into Whitechapel Road. But God came and tenderly adopted Jerusalem and Judah. Verse six. The Lord says, then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the fields. And then verse eight, he says, later I passed by. And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. The Bible describes the relationship between God and his people as like a marriage. Not just here in Ezekiel, but elsewhere in the Old Testament, in places like Isaiah and in Hosea and many other places and in the New Testament as well. It's the first and most common and most intimate picture in the Bible of God's care for and commitments to his people. Ezekiel 16 continues, verse 9, the Lord says, I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace round your neck and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Verse 13, so you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? What woman doesn't want to be treated like a queen? And this is a picture of how God treats his people. Have you realised that? The generous, tender, attentive, lavish love of God towards his people. When we come on to the New Testament, we find that the Apostle Paul takes the language of Ezekiel and other parts of the Old Testament talking about God and Israel, and he says that it's fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church. Maybe you'd like to turn on to Ephesians chapter 5. That's on page 1176 in the Church Bibles. Keep a finger in Ezekiel because we're coming back there. But it's Ephesians chapter 5, page 1176. See if you can spot the echoes of Ezekiel 16 as I read Ephesians 5 from verse 25. The apostle writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with water through by washing... Sorry, let me start there again. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the words And then in verse 31, he quotes Genesis chapter 2 and says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Do you see? Marriage, including the one flesh act of sexual union, is a model of the gospel. A model of the intimate spiritual union of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Marriage is a public and permanent commitment between a man and a woman. It's not just about being shacked up for a while. As God says to Ezekiel, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine. It's not the serial monogamy of being faithful to one sexual partner for a while, uh, but then moving on to another and to another as the will and desire takes us. And it's a union of two people of the opposite sex, a man and a woman. Now, all of those things might be challenging to us, and uh, there might be uh, more unpacking that we don't have time for today. Do talk to me if you want to talk them over more fully. In fact, if you're not persuaded at all, I'm not going to be offended. But do you see that marriage is a beautiful model of the gospel? And therefore, it's the only appropriate and safe place for sexual activity. Just to complete the picture, the other beautiful possibility for Christian people is celibacy. And that's appropriate for anyone who's not married. In fact, in some ways, it's better even than marriage. And again, we covered that earlier in the year in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, I realize these things might mean that for some of us, there are some quite big changes that are needed. Again, do please talk it over with me or with Kate or with um, your small group leader or someone else. Having seen then why sex is significant, and in particular how marriage is a model for the gospel, I hope then we can see why God says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 16. God's marriage to his people, we've already seen, is described as a covenant in verse 8 of that chapter. Halfway through verse 8, God says, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. A covenant is a solemn relational promise. It's more than a contract. Contracts can be renegotiated, they can be temporary, they can be impersonal, but a covenant like this is a binding together of two people into one relationship. The marriage covenant is symbolised and sealed and celebrated by the one flesh act of sexual union. And so when we grasp the significance of marriage, we can understand and feel God's hurt and betrayal when his people are unfaithful. Let's pick up from verse 14. He says, your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, Because of the splendor I had given you, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But, verse 15, but you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favours on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. You went to him and he possessed your beauty. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them and you offered my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the flour, olive oil and honey I gave you to eat, you offered as a fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the Sovereign Lord. Can you feel God's hurt and betrayal at the adultery of his people? Adultery Is covenant breaking because marriage is a model of the gospel adultery is a model of idolatry that is abandoning our God to chase after false gods and that's why I think that adultery is the sexual sin that's particularly listed in the Ten Commandments it's because it's covenant breaking it's a sign of turning to false gods And in fact, that's the way it's used throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. It's not just in Ezekiel. We see it in the way that Jesus frequently refers and speaks to members of his own community. He calls them, you wicked and adulterous generation. He pushes home the application of the seventh commandment in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I wonder if we take our sexual faithfulness that seriously. Not just not sleeping with anyone we're not married to, but not thinking about it. Not looking where we shouldn't. Not just not sinning with the sexual parts of our bodies, but with our eyes or our hands, or our imaginations, or anything else. Do you struggle with that? I know I do. We began with the question, what business is it of anyone else? What consenting adults do in the bedroom? I hope you can see that it's God's business, because he made us. He made our bodies. He made us sexual beings for a reason as a model of the gospel. If we're Christian people, we're covenanted to him just as as we're covenanted to our spouse if we're married. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, has been perfectly faithful to us. In that passage from Ephesians that we looked at, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with, by washing with water through the words and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her at the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ shows Jesus' perfect commitment to his covenant bride, the church. That's the standard of commitment in our marriages. And that too is our hope when we fail. Maybe you've been convicted as I've been speaking. You've already maybe had multiple sexual partners, some of them maybe outside marriage or actually marriage breaking. Even if you haven't been sleeping around, I suspect your imagination and your wandering eyes have committed adultery of spirit, if not of body. But the commitment of our bridegroom Jesus Christ at the cross not only demonstrates the extent of his covenant love, It provides the means for cleansing, for forgiveness, for washing clean. Jesus Christ fulfills every one of the Ten Commandments. Can you see that Jesus Christ crucified is the very opposite of adultery? Whether you're married or single, come to Jesus as the one perfectly faithful bridegroom. Who gives himself completely for his bride, the church. When we follow this theme through scripture, we're left with two ways to live. Will we follow the way of the world where sex is transactional? unregulated selfish simply follows the desires of the flesh and leads to destruction in this life and in the life to come or will we follow the way of the lord where sex is used faithfully as god intended as an expression of our commitments as a celebration of love of faithfulness and of mutual giving we can commit to the way of god through sexual faithfulness in marriage and sexual abstinence outside of marriage. The seventh commandment is relevant to every one of us. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What business is it of anyone else? It's everyone's business. That's what we say at the beginning of a marriage service. Marriage is a sign of unity and loyalty which all should uphold and honour. This choice of two ways was behind the debate in General Synods this past week. The way of the world and the way of the Lord. I'm sorry to say that Synod chose the way of the world There are many faithful members of synods who passionately argued for the teaching of Scripture. But they narrowly lost the vote. Synods chose the way of the world. If I'd been there, I'd have liked to have reminded them of the words of James, chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle James writes, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now is not the time to talk about how we respond at St Anne's to our denomination walking away from the gospel. We've already passed a resolution on these things. You can read it on the website. We have some protection at the moment of being under the Bishop of fleet, who firmly rejects the direction of travel. Please pray for the church council as we meet tomorrow night and over coming weeks and months. But for now, I want to finish with a few more verses later on in James chapter 4 as we think uh, about not just the Church of England, but about our life at St Anne's and our own personal godliness, whether we're married or single. And he will lift you up.